0: Hello and welcome to the POI podcast. Today we shall be talking about the recent events that have occurred in Afghanistan. The American withdrawal from Afghanistan has been the talking point of the world's media for the past few weeks, and will most likely be the defining feature of Biden's presidency. Joining me today to discuss the topic, we have Joseph McLaughlin for Labour, who has written the article on the subject, being heavily critical of the West's involvement in the country over the past 20 years. Alongside Joseph, I'm also joined by Fletcher Kipps for the Liberals and Kieran Burt for the Conservatives first of all how much blame to whom and where do you believe should be attributed for what's happened in Afghanistan Joseph?
1: Well it's a very complicated situation because it's basically about three decades of different governments interference in the country and pinning the blame on one specific person would be, would be ignoring the wider picture. The fact of the matter is that we originally got involved in Afghanistan to destabilize it against the soviets and the communist government there and what has followed since uh since 2001 has been the routine effort to pour two trillion dollars worth of military equipment into basically five companies to try and rebuild this country now while you know certain aspects of pulling out recently could be criticized uh the exit strategy did not have to go this way um it would be delusional, I think, to really see the Taliban takeover as anything but inevitable.
0: Okay. Kieran, your own article, you were very critical about the, the Biden's uh, withdrawal. Do you have any comments on it?
2: Uh, I certainly acknowledge and agree that, you know, ignoring the wider historical picture in afghanistan would be foolish um but i think in recent events um if you were to attribute blame um certainly president trump or former president trump rather shares some of that blame for negotiating uh, an awful exit deal with the taliban and then president biden um shares the lion's share or the majority of the blame for firstly executing a horrific deal uh, and then secondly doing a a poor deal badly um so yeah that's where i attribute
3: the blame to be in fletcher it's a it's great points been made by both my colleagues here and and very good articles uh, i've read both of them um, but I think in the immediate um, kind of past, I think we have to blame uh, blame Biden at the moment. I think it was his decision to pull out in the way he did. Um, yes, it was Trump's decision that they were going to pull out, but the way in which it was done um, wasn't, wasn't good enough. And it, it should there should have been some kind of um, a plan put in place um, so that it was done in, in a better manner. Uh, whether, whether or not they should have pulled out or not is, is a different kind of debate. But, but for the debate today, I do think that, that it was Biden's, Biden's fault um, in the way in which they pulled out. Um, and, I, and I think it's important throughout the whole debate today to realise that these are the Afghan people that we're talking about and that have all had to obviously be pulled out of the country. And they need to be in our forefront of our minds throughout the whole debate because it's not their fault. They've been caught up in politics um, and, and it's cost a lot of them lives. So I think that's that's got to be at the forefront of, of whatever we talk about today.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: Joseph at the beginning you mentioned um, intervention due to the communist slash USSR government do you believe that this has been a long time coming due to instability created due to foreign inv- involvement
1: well absolutely well it's not the case that um, instability was inevitable it, this is a this is sort of a direct consequence of what we did uh, as I mentioned in my article um, rebellion against the communist-aligned government in the 70s, was funded through Pakistan, uh, to which we gave money and arms to. Of course, they, we gave them money, they chose the kind of group um, among the sort of rebels to sort of fund. And while the Mujahideen, the originals um, in the 70s were very kind of broad in terms of politics, some, uh, some communists, some liberals, some uh, conservatives, by facilitating the arms trade to Pakistan we We are also responsible for funding the very hard-right extremist groups that emerged um, Under Hekmatar and then the Taliban that splintered from his group once the Mujahideen came into power
2: I would though the Soviet invasion or intervention rather of Afghanistan also contributed to the instability in the country. I mean, absolutely. Um, yeah. So that that, 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 role should not be forgotten either.
1: I agree. There was, well, there's no such thing as a good war in my mind, but, um, well, the, the problem is the Soviets had to intervene because of the sort of, because of their kind of geopolitical position, uh, to the north of Afghanistan was the kind of outer sort of uh, communist states of Central Asia that made up the USSR, and any and a sort of uh, domino effect could in theory happen between um, religious extremism in Afghanistan and Iran and then in Kazakhstan and Tajikistan and countries like that. The, yes, and the Soviets intervened and they intervened very very heavily and it was an absolutely brutal an absolutely brutal war and well that's the kind of price that the afghan people pl- paid because of the kind of because it kind of um became a sort of ideological kind of battleground of course with the west intervening on the side of the mujahideen and the communists trying to prop up the government there already in afghanistan
3: i think i think it's make the case that in all these unstable countries, or potentially unstable countries, they are in most cases caused by us. um, By whether we Mm. go in there, or whether we we intervene in a certain way, or or we decide that that it doesn't quite suit our regime and and the way in which we think. And I I do honestly believe that in most of these cases, they are unstable, and they are unstable because of Western countries and Western democracies that decide that they think they can do a better job, or they thought that there should be a different way of running that
1: country. Exactly, that's very much a major problem. We we have propped up very horrible dictatorships in the aim of stamping out leftism across the world and We have supported kind of rebellion against sort of leftism in other countries like Afghanistan and Ultimately this sort of plays into the kind of myth that I'm seeing kind of a lot of in the news that the occupation was going well until um uh, Trump screwed it up or Biden screwed it up or uh, Boris Johnson screwed it up in truth the way that we were in there and the facts that we had such a sort of terrible disregard for the kind of local people and kind of keeping them safe with you know with the kind of uh, misuse of drone strikes and Kind of the unaccountability that some soldiers could just have like roaming the countryside the fact is that these actions and this botched occupation led to the resurgence of the Taliban because we just gave we gave the Taliban an endless supply of radicalized disenfranchised local people
2: however I think while obviously there are there were corrupt elements in the western-backed Afghan government I think it's important to realize that the Taliban themselves when they were previously in power they were much much more brutal Than the West. So, and think like examples, uh, especially when it comes to women's rights um, under the Western backed government. Yes, there was all this horrendous corruption um, that we could all point to, but the women there had much more rights now, uh, well, previously, uh, than they will do under the Taliban. So, I think that mustn't be forgotten. in there,
1: yeah. Obviously, the ta- I've, no, There's no love lost for the Taliban. The Taliban are incredibly evil, incredibly fundamentalist. But the problem is, we helped put them into power to overthrow an already pro-women. Is the thing because we we sort of recycled this kind of need for kind of um, kind of restoring kind of justice and women's rights in the country um, kind of after 2001. The problem is the first the first kind of major wave of women going to universities, women being elected to uh, the Afghan parliament, the first wave of that was under the communist regime. And during the kind of the Soviet-Afghan um, uh, war, the majority of women in society sided with the communist government because it was either modernity and forward-thinkingness or signing with the Taliban and kind of, Giving themselves away to these sort of tribal structures, so we essentially created the problem that we then wanted to solve later on. Yeah,
3: yeah, I mean, I, I agree totally. I, I get your point, Kieran, about about the fact that um, the way in which women were treated under the Taliban. And I obviously don't agree with that, but I, I I understand Joseph's overall kind of idea is that that if we hadn't have gone in in the first place and kind of disrupted. The, the communist regime uh, and and kind of giving the Taliban the chance to, to be involved in or want to overthrow um, whatever happens has kind of gone the other way. Um, I, I kind of wonder by like kind of moving off of this historical elements, um, what you both think about sort of whether we should have just remained in there in, in the kind of state that we were in, because obviously Joseph, you alluded to the fact that kind of well, everyone just thinks it was so brilliant before Trump made the deal. Well, it it wasn't. We were kind of <laughs> we were just in afghanistan and it looked like it was going to be going on for forever That's so i wanted wonder what both of you thought about that and whether we should have pulled out or it was just the way in which it was done or was it uh, was it the wrong decision to pull out altogether
2: so i think um I, yes the war in afghanistan was handled uh, quite badly um when i say war in afghanistan i mean from 2001 op- onwards um i think that was quite handled badly i think bush's rationale for entering uh, afghanistan invading uh, it was certainly primarily driven by um a feeling of revenge or uh, emotion in general um but then again i think if bush hadn't intervened in Afghanistan the American people would have uh, destroyed him you know he, he would not have survived um, his own people um, so I think that also needs to be kept in mind but I think I think we ultimately I think yes we did we did need to withdraw but I think maybe not right now and certainly not in the way that we did um, the Afghan army were clearly not ready um, to handle their own security, um, and the West—that is the West—a Western failure because we should have trained them um, to be able to stand on their own, and they were clearly not able to do that. Um, and I think withdrawing in the middle of a pandemic, in when Biden's trying to uh, push through his own uh, domestic agenda and, and having trouble through Congress with that. Um, I think that that was timed really, really badly. Um, So I think waiting an extra two to five years could have made a bit more of a difference.
1: Mm. I absolutely agree that we needed to pull out. I mean, if you look kind of at the election cycles of 2016 and 2020, for example, um, there was Trump who ran very heavily on kind of ending the sort of um, endless wars. And whether he actually contributes to that in like Syria per se, is a different question, but Well, the problem is we had to withdraw but Because of the way that we had set up the occupation From the get-go meant that it was never going to be clean or easy or even successful so, of course, the obvious answer would be to never have gone in in the first place, but Essentially, yes, well It's a miracle that we could even have thought for kind of so long that um kind of just funding endlessly a country sort of western-backed government would have worked after we had left iraq uh, Iraq and how quickly that devolved Um, Afghan army was just it just simply wasn't equipped to say because the fact of the matter is we didn't really care about giving the afghan army the the weapons and tools of destruction because it was just financing for the Americans and the British and the sort of coalition forces um, There was a story actually um, just in the days before the kind of uh, the withdrawal um, that there was like a fleet of um, Helicopters by Lockheed Martin and uh, they had been they're very very advanced spent billions producing them and when everyone had left the only people qualified to actually maintain and fly the helicopters were Lockheed uh, Martin engineers and the American pilots. The Afghan army had basically no way or no knowledge to maintain or actually use these billions of billions of pounds of equipment. And there were also, um, there were also pictures uh, surfacing just before the fall of Kabul about how the Afghan army just basically didn't have any food or rations to feed themselves. It was, it was just a totally flawed, of way of convincing ourselves that we were doing a good job when in reality we were just creating contracts and for like for five massive companies
3: but i I do think uh, i agree that that they weren't prepared um enough but i do think this is the we're coming to the core of the issue really is um, in order to withdraw you needed to prepare the afghan army in order to be able to defend themselves Hmm. and i feel like the failure comes from the fact that Biden actually, he pulled all our, our troops out. He hadn't properly prepared them, but he hadn't left them with a leader. The Prime Minister just, well, the President, the Prime Minister uh, flee the country immediately. He wasn't really there to, to guide them. Hmm. Um, so I think, I think there's an element of leadership that, that was lost. I think and it was the fact that they just kind of rolled over to the Taliban a bit. And that, For sure. partly it's Biden's fault, because you see, all the Taliban now have got, have got American uniforms on. I mean, who thought it was a good idea to leave the American uniforms so they could quite easily be taken by the Taliban? I don't know. But it's, mm. it just seems like a, a, a lot of failures, one after the other, that have ended up in basically handing it to the Taliban. And, and I know they weren't set up um, very well, the Afghan government, but I know that Dominic Raab said he thought it was going to take a year for them to overthrow him, and it literally took them 10 days or something. And I think that comes from the fact that they were literally given it. They firstly rolled over, and they secondly provided them all the, uh, all the gear in which to do so
1: yeah i mean there's just there, there wasn't any morale in the kind of afghan uh national army to fight i mean if you just and yeah if you look at the kind of conditions that i said that the u.s government had left them with then why even why even bother you're not well fed you're not well equipped the easiest thing would just be to defect to the Taliban or just let them in yeah which is effectively yeah. what happened really. Yeah. Do you um, do you
3: both like I I personally don't believe the UK in this scenario could have done much more because I do think it needed the support of America. Do you both agree with me on that or do you think that that the UK could have stayed in without America or done something more?
1: I do I do agree that the kind of the bulwark of this operation was the Americans. I mean, if you look at basically kind of all the western allies like um like France and Germany, they had all withdrawn about around the same time as well, although France had withdrawn uh, very slow, you know, kind of a longer period of time, and did that a lot better than the rest of us.
2: Um I think, I, I yeah, I, I agree that um, unfortunately Britain could not, Britain could not stay in Afghanistan. So um, once Trump had unilaterally decided, right, America's leaving, that's that's it. Everyone else had to leave. Um, so I do find, especially claims that. Dominic Raab should resign over <laughs> Afghanistan, and not anyone in America. Uh, rather nonsensical, um, because while I don't see what Dominic Raab personally could have done, um, should the phone, whether the phone call should or should not have been taken uh, to the Afghan government. Um it was it would have been made about two days before they uh capitulated to the Taliban, so there would not have been any meaningful outcome to that phone call. Um however, you know, those in America those in American policy positions like uh Blinken, uh, Lloyd Austin for uh, Secretary of Defense, they're they're facing no calls to resign. Um and Rob is. Um, I don't quite understand that.
3: I mean, I, I disagree with you, Kieran. I, th- I think that, I mean, it won't matter anyway, because it looks like Donald well, I was going to lose his position anyway today. But yeah. um, I do think that it is his fault. I, I think that, yes, you're right. There are other people that should be held accountable in America. But we're in the UK and we can only hold account to people that we elect and he should have been there to answer the call. At least he shouldn't have been on a beach. I mean, I understand that he may, exactly, have predicted. Exactly. he may have predicted that it was going to take a lot longer. And I don't blame him for going on holiday. There's nothing wrong with him being out there or having decided to go on holiday if he didn't realise that was going to happen. However, the moment it did happen, that's his responsibility to either get on the flight back or set up a full office in wherever he is in order to deal with that whether he would have been able to take the call or not, I don't know, but, but he should have been there and that was his responsibility. And I think, uh, I think if he had it again, I think he would do it differently.
1: Mm, Absolutely. I mean, hindsight is 2020. I mean, if you kind of look, there's been so many ministers in this government who've sort of acted so unprofessionally and just kind of stuck by kind of, Oh, actually no, what I did was right. And then just wait for the media to just get bored and look at something else. And that happens. I think, I, I think that happened with this. And I think that,
3: probably a
2: lot more. Uh, Yeah, unfortunately, I'm I'm going to disagree. I don't think Rob should... I think, could he have acted differently and perhaps come back on holiday slightly earlier? Maybe, maybe not. But again, I don't think it would have mattered at all for the outcome of the situation. Um, You know, as soon as this started to happen, the only meaningful action that would have taken could be in, in, in Afghanistan itself. Um, and, and on that point, may I just praise our uh, ambassador for staying in Afghanistan when others fle- well, other ambassadors fled. Um, mm. But, so yeah, that's why I, I don't think Rob should resign
3: purely off that. But so if, if you're the Foreign Secretary, your your main aim is for for twenty twenty. The main thing that's going to happen is Afghanistan in the end. It, I mean, it dominated the papers. I think it dominated the news. Anyone could have known that that's the biggest thing that's going to hit the the, uh, the Foreign Office this year. And ultimately, when you're in that position, no matter whether it's right or wrong, you have to be the one that takes the takes the fall if it goes wrong, and you have to be the one that takes responsibility if it goes right. And we've seen this over years, ministerial accountability. It, it's the minister that takes it because they ultimately should have read it. I, I, I think about Amber Rudd years ago when she hadn't seen that email. And, and so therefore she had to go. But but I still agree that she had to go because it was her responsibility to have seen the email and to have read mm. that. So it, it's his responsibility, really, whether, we, whether it could have changed on the ground or not. I don't think matters. I think really it's what how he's a minister. He should. And he's a minister in the Foreign Office. He should be seen to be doing his job the most he can. And not some paper photo of him that was put on the paper about him working hard to sort the situation out. I don't know if any of you saw that. But he should actually have not been on the beach. He should have been been doing his job. I mean, I know we're going to disagree on this, Kieran, but that's just from my perspective. Um, yeah. How I think it would have been handled better.
1: Mm. I think we need to... I think the main focus now is kind of nothing to do with military... Sort of matters, but coordinating a humanitarian sort of rescue of all the people who need to get out of Afghanistan and finding them a, a good place to be safe, you know?
3: Yeah, I agree, Joseph. I think I think you're right. I, I wonder, though, we can't just let, I don't know, sort everyone out and then and then go in there and we just have a state run by the Taliban who has no citizens in, really. So, I don't know. I know that you're probably not going to agree that we should go back in, and I don't know whether I agree with that or not yet. Um, I think you have to see how it will develop but I don't know where we go from here I don't know whether <laughs> yes I totally agree we need to, to sort of house any kind of people that are leaving any citizens that that want to leave and, and, and that we can get out and we need to provide them with asylum but hmm. but where do we go from here do we then just have a state that is fully run by the Taliban but has no citizens because we've taken them all out
1: Well, that's sort of the problem. I mean, if we kind of look, I think probably the closest um, sort of comparison might be with Iran or something, where kind of we sort of, we cause this kind of situation where a hardline extremist um, government has come in. And essentially, we just sort of let them be and just kind of stay back and embargo them. I think that's probably the future kind of relationship that I kind of west will have with afghanistan from this point forward
2: yeah i don't think we re- um a- another intervention in afghanistan would not be i would i don't think i could support that yeah it'd be I political don't think suicide. it would be yes um it would be political suicide um yeah i don't i think especially after how this was botched i don't think anyone saying we should go back in would get any time of day. Um, and especially after, just not even the withdrawal, just the war in a whole, as a whole, um, I don't think that provides a case for going back in. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, prov- providing sort of an embargo embargoing them is the sort of future relationship that we're looking at here
1: Mm. there's been a lot of sort of hubbub um for me for a few days that um we ought to do something about because um there's a massive lithium sort of reserve in afghanistan that's been discovered yeah sort of that's kind of where we should go in and sort of liberate the people from their lithium so it isn't sold to china in some bizarre sort of neo-imperialist fashion which is just a
3: hairbrand idea yeah i i've seen that um and i think i think part of it's a worry that, that china would will go in and take the lithium um or, or, or be sold it or, or there will become some kind of relationship that comes from it i don't think that can be the basis that we go back in absolutely um, not and, no. and i think i think that there, there might become a time in which we find out actually we do need to go back in over the harboring terrorists again i help the situation but if something like that came up it would potentially change the scenario but i definitely don't think that the fact that china might go in or you know there's there's some deal about lithium i don't think that's uh, a, a, an excuse to go back in at all
1: yeah absolutely it's all hypotheticals at this point as well It's a bit, some kind of taliban chinese trade deal hasn't even happened yet china of yeah. course has <laughs> strategic reasons to want to keep the afghans friendly because of um of course, the possibility that um, Afghanistan could support um, uh, terrorism in Jingjiang, Xinjiang, um, which has ha- which has happened in the past. So, of course, they have strategic sort of reasons to kind of keep things kind of safe for that sort of western border.
2: What hmm. I'm more interested in for China is obviously their um, the genocide of the Uyghur Muslims. Hmm. So, hmm. would a relationship with the Taliban, who are obviously hardline uh, Muslim extremists, how how would that play out for what what China are doing for their genocide? Because obviously they don't want to be seen as legitimising Muslims if those are the people that they're targeting. Um, So how that relationship plays out will also be interesting.
1: Hmm. I mean, I imagine we'll see something probably like um, kind of maybe China's relationship with Pakistan where they're sort of friendly and have kind of cross-border um, sort of infrastructure set up because of course um, as mentioned earlier Pakistan was a very big funder of Islamic terrorism kind of in the region as a whole so of course keeping them friendly and out of their kind of out of their kind of backyard would probably be of interest to them.
3: Yeah. I, think, I think coming back to the idea of, of, of asylum that we've all agreed needs to be offered. Um, to the Afghan Afghan people, and um, one thing I've been thinking about recently is is about how the fact that America obviously caused this, um, in in terms of their withdrawal and the way in which they've withdrawn, but yet there seems to be no pressure on them to ever take any asylum seekers or ever take anyone. And mm. and I mean I know that's the way the the, politi- the political climate is set up in the US, but that is actually wrong because there's yeah. no pressure on on a pri- on a president to do anything. It's not even in the mind of Biden because there's no pressure from any supporters to take more people on. So yes. but this is a situation where the UK are like yeah, we can take 15,000 or 20,000 000- The US could take that in a heartbeat and they wouldn't even be touching the services. I'm not saying that should stop us, but I'm saying that we have to do more to put pressure on them to also take some.
1: Exactly. We should, I think the best strategy would be to coordinate between the sort of EU countries and us in America, kind of like a a refugee kind of sharing agreement, Um, kind of similar to what was seen in the um, response to the Syrian refugee crisis, where Mm -hmm. kind of, we sort of agree on sort of quotas and, of taking people in and how to help them.
2: But even in Europe, that's a bit uneasy because of, they're scared of obviously the migrant and another uh, wave of refugees like the 2015 migrant crisis coming over to um, Europe. So, you know, France has come off as a bit more hostile um, to Afghan refugees greece as well they began building a wall um along the border with turkey um so and, and america like i say they've not done anything either um so yeah i, I completely agree that, Br- that the uk should be pressuring other countries other allies to do more to take in refugees because the uk yeah. can't just do it alone
1: But we need to also do more as well. It's very much worth saying that of the 15,000 over five years that we've agreed to let in, that in the three years before we repatriated about 12,000 people back to Afghanistan. So, and they will presumably still be there. And it's really not enough sort of considering that we'd agreed to maybe, what was it? I think mil, 2.5 million Hong Kongers who could come over because of what was happening in China so i think we need to i think we really need to step up with what we're doing here
3: yeah oh i mean i agree i, th- I think there just needs to be a complete change in the way in which we approach it um yes this ingre- this includes um us doing more it includes a kind of uh, an, a, an agreement between the eu countries between america um between all, all different western democracies that that do want to help these people and i think i hope that that from this, there will be a change in policy and there'll be a change in the way in which we deal with things and, and more of an agreement. I think another important point is, and you mentioned France, Kieran, um, it's, it's another hypothetical situation, but there's an election next year. Um, and, and I mean, should Marine Le Pen win, which which has been unlikely, but we've seen unlikely things happen, um, that, that we don't actually know uh, what the scenario could be in a year's time. So I do think at the moment, we need to do everything we can to help the Afghan people, and I, but yeah. I hope that there'll be a more a, a general change in the way in which we deal with these situations in the future.
1: Hmm. The problem is we're oh, dealing sort of. Oh, sorry, go ahead.
3: I was
2: going to say I think if um, Marine Le Pen wins in the French election, you know, Ma- Macron's having to be. Well, he's feeling that he needs to be tougher on immigration and. His stance on Islam because he's feeling threatened by Marine Le Pen who is a lot more extreme in that so I think if Marine Le Pen gets to power that's not going to happen at all Um, so yeah it needs to be fast if it's going to happen
1: Hmm. we are dealing with sort of a very kind of resurgent sort of far right across Europe um, especially in places like France and Greece mentioned so, of course, any sort of, any sort of action taken by even sort of liberal governments will kind of be very much uh, scrutinized by, unfortunately, everyone across the political spectrum. Um, there was this sort of bizarre moment in the French first round election cycles where um, one one party was at a debate and they were accusing, like, a, like a centrist party was accusing... Marie le pen of of not being tough enough on muslims in the sort of kind of weird sort of race to the bottom to kind of look tough on extremists and brown people coming in so it's really kind of a toxic sort of environment we're kind of all facing in every every country across europe
3: i I think it's an interesting situation because I, i don't know where we do go from here um including all of those factors i think We've we've discussed this now for half an hour, and I don't think there's a clear answer. And I don't, and obviously, if there was, then maybe one of us would be in government. But um, <laughs> but there isn't. But there isn't. So, um, I mean, I know that there's going to be many, many debates probably over the next year to come from it. But I, I just here and now to start with, and we need to deal with the the uh, first and foremost, the Afghan people. Um, mm. but then I then I think, as we've all said, there should be kind of a change. But it's going to be tough to do so. Um, It's going to be tough to implement across Europe. Um, and, and And I don't know where we go from here, really.
1: I think the attitude that we can just come into a country halfway across the world, rip up basically everything and try to build a nation out of military, industrial complex contracts and goodwill is just a dream that really needs to die in the kind of mindset of everyone in the kind of Western world. And I would hope that, sort of, after what happened with Syria and, and Iraq, that and Afghanistan now, that maybe that sort of way of thinking can die for maybe another good half of a century, like with what happened after Vietnam or something.
2: I think I think I agree. Um, I've written previously on the notion of uh, responsibility to protect, which is uh, what you're alluded to there. Um, that you know the idea that a west well any anyway, we intervene we have a responsibility to intervene in other states handling um and ha- and make them better uh, in, in quotation marks um i agree i think that's a notion that is not working um it temporarily sort of worked in afghanistan with better women's rights um and things like that but in the long term it did not it completely didn't work um and i think so yeah i think that needs the the notion that responsibility to protect is is a good idea i think needs to uh, change
1: Mm. well the the occupation was good for women's rights and education despite us you know regressing them inadvertently beforehand but um that's basically basically the only aspect of the occupation that really sort of worked out. We had incredible numbers of civilian deaths. Um, we supported all sorts of horrible warlords with basically child sex slaves in the mountains for, and would smuggle heroin throughout the country. And there was just sort of no accountability to this sort of militarized force that was in the country that, and that turned many people to the Taliban just to, get us to leave basically
0: well on that note I would just like to ask one final question and go around you all, it's been quite an interesting discussion but obviously the most pressing matter now which has been discussed several times throughout the podcast is women's rights and as Fletcher said if we had a solution to the situation we would all be in government but hmm. what should we do with regards to these women's rights that have just been completely destroyed floor is open
3: yeah i think it's a good question um i think that we can't accept that that's just the way afghanistan are going to be which um which it doesn't mean we need to go in there and we need to start war again um but we can't just accept that that's okay um i think that i mean i guess if if Af- if, Tal- if the taliban are going to be in afghanistan for the near future um, I think we have to try and negotiate with them. We have to try and work with them to to try and restore some level of of, of rights for women. Um, there needs to be sanctions, um, and we need to and we need to just try everything we can. Um, but I don't think at the moment war is the way forward to do that. Um, but I just can hope that that they can come up with a solution um, so that so that women that have had rights in the country can feel safe again and, and can. Get some level of rights back again. And...
1: Mm. I yeah. oh sorry.
2: Oh, <laughs> I was going to say that. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think humanitarian methods need to be pursued. Definitely not another war that that did not work. Um, well, it, it, uh, yeah, we we'll discussed that. Um, but I think we need. Well, unfortunately, we ha- we do have to deal with the Taliban. Uh, in some capacity, diplomatically, because whether we recognise their rule as legitimate or not, they are the controlling power in Afghanistan. Um, so I think we will, in some capacity, have to try and deal with them to um, negotiate a better way of uh, for women's rights. Um, but I, I would agree there's sanctions as well um, if they regress.
1: I will be a bit pessimistic here because I feel that as of right now with the situation with women's rights There's nothing we can meaningfully do to help people there We're just not there anymore. We failed and we just have to kind of accept that for the time being the Taliban are pretty desperate on the higher-ups end to kind of gain sort of international recognition That's something that's very much changed this time around when they're in power so Make of that what we will um, But The yes The main problem is that we have to kind of uh, This has given us Opportunity to kind of take a step Back and to sort of look at Our commitments and sort of How we're going to do sort of stuff like this From going forward
0: Well On that final point I would like to thank my three participants We've heard Joseph Laughlin for Labour We've heard Fletcher Kipps for the Liberals and Kieran Burt for the Conservatives. I've been your host, Peter Pearce, and this has been the POI Podcast.